Greetings and salutations from Times Square, crossroads of the world. This is the Muni Lowdown, produced by DebtWire Municipals, where we talk about this week's most interesting stories in the municipal bond market. And I am your host, Young Lim, desk editor at DebtWire Municipals. Hello all, it's Tuesday, February 25th, 2020. Today we've got some interesting stories. First off, we've got DebtWire Municipals reporter Kaylin Devitt, who looks at an Illinois lawsuit seeking to void $14.3 billion of the state's general obligation bonds that was filed too late, failed to name bondholders as a party, and misreads the Constitution, the state argued, on, on a February 14th brief filed with the state appellate court. DebtWire's Maria Monte discusses the $100 million debt issuance to fund the Academy of Motion, Picture Arts, and Sciences Museum in Los Angeles, which is leaving some market participants cynical about the project's essentiality given the use of tax-exempt financing. And finally, San Juan-based DebtWire's Ava Lorenz looks at the latest on what's been going on in Puerto Rico last week. And now it's on to Kaylin David from Chicago. Kaylin, how are you doing out there? I'm pretty good. Greetings from Chicago. All right, the Windy City. So let's uh, let's t- let's talk about a story that you started covering last summer. I believe uh, it uh, started in July. Uh, last year, we covered, I'm sorry, you covered a controversial lawsuit that sought to invalidate more than $14 billion of Illinois general obligation bonds. Uh, a judge shot it down. I believe it's a circuit court judge by the name of Jack Davis. But the story continues, and it, it pits uh, the state against um, from a taxpayer. So what's the latest on this story? Well, the latest, um, as you say, a circuit court judge shot it down. It was filed in July of 19, and uh, uh, the petition to file the lawsuit was filed. And um, because in Illinois, you need to, um, the, a judge needs to approve a petition for a taxpayer to go ahead with a lawsuit. So that was filed in July of 19, as you said, and it was shot down, um, as you said, by a circuit court judge. But the latest is, in short, an appeal. The taxpayer, whose name is John Tillman, who's the head of the Illinois Policy Institute, which is kind of a conservative think tank uh, institute here in Illinois that's a high profile, very critical of the Democratic leadership and of the state's fiscal policies over the last few decades. He filed it along with the New York hedge fund, Warlander Asset Management, and Jack Davis shot it down in August and Tillman appealed in December. So what we, the most recent story that I wrote on Valentine's Day on on, um, February 14th was the state's response to Tillman's appeal. And Tillman appealed to Fourth Judicial District. And the state's, as I said, in December, the state was originally supposed to respond in January. They asked for like a five week extension. The court granted it and then they filed their appeal um, as I said, on Valentine's Day, so that's what we covered. Well, not quite a love letter from the state, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Uh, so, so then tell me, on Valentine's Day, what was the state's argument? Well, basically, the state said that uh, the circuit court judge acted correctly when he rejected the appeal. Tillman had argued that the court is limited, basically, to only deciding whether the lawsuit is a lawsuit is frivolous or malicious that they're limited to just ruling on that, and that he erred when he rejected it based on whether or not it was reasonable based on its merits. So the state argued that, in fact, Davis acted correctly um, when he said that the lawsuit was not filed on reasonable grounds and and shouldn't be able to move forward for that reason. 
So that was the state's argument, just reaffirming the circuit court's decision, which Tillman has challenged. And then also in the brief, which is, you know, many pages, the state reiterated most of its original arguments against the lawsuit. And that is that the the, uh, Tillman filed it too late. The bonds that we're talking about, uh, and you said it's about 14.3 billion in principle now, but they were originally issued in 2003 and 2017. And um, so the state says that the lawsuit comes too late and also that they should have, that they should have named the bondholders as parties because they would have been, they're going to be harmed if the, if they went, if the lawsuit won and also that the lawsuit is based on a misreading of the state constitution. Basically, Tillman and Warlander originally argued that the state illegally issued the bonds because they violate this, this provision of the state constitution that is called the Specific Purposes Clause that requires that bond proceeds be used for specific purposes. And they're arguing that in 03, the 03 and, and 2010 bond issuances were essentially deficit financing. So they violate that, state, that part of the state constitution. And of course, the state argues that that's not that that's not a correct reading, um, and that the proceeds were, were that the legislature approved these sort of specific uses that the bonds were used for. So um, the other thing to note that's kind of interesting is um, when Davis rejected the the petition to file the lawsuit in August of last year, he also scolded Warlander for being involved. Some investment firms, including Naveen, had filed a Friends of the Court brief in support of the state, arguing that Warlander, which you know was originally involved because it says it, it I mean because it does own about twenty five million worth of the state's geo bonds, so that's how it says it's got some standing. Um, these Naveen and the Friends of the Court said that brief said that Warlander also would benefit financially if the state defaults because it owns credit default swaps. And that really annoyed the judge. You could tell I attended that hearing last summer. He talked about it a lot. And he talked about that in his decision as well. So it's worth noting that also in Tillman's appeal, Warlander is not formally part of that appeal. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, like you said, um, that was a big deal when you when you, we found out that Warlander was behind it. So. So uh, let let me talk about a very important question. What's been the overall, let's uh, would you say, the market's reaction to all this? Well, the market reaction has been kind of interesting. You know, people say one thing, but then we see something else. Um, after the lawsuit was filed, we saw the spreads widen pretty dramatically, and um, so that showed that the market kind of reacted and was a little bit spooked by the lawsuit. And then we saw the spreads tighten when Davis rejected the petition. So, you know, we definitely saw some clear kind of trading reaction there. Um, now, as the as the story kind of continues and as the appeal moves on and the appeal moves on, we're seeing the state, we're not really seeing any action, reaction on the spreads from that. The state is actually enjoying like the tightest spreads in the in years, but that, as most people know, is more a function of market conditions. Um, and you know the thirst for yield that's going on, and the hunger that it has to do with the lawsuit. So, but we know that the market is closely watching the lawsuit, and and that it's kind of linked with these larger issues in the muni market about payment willingness and and ability um, on payment of geo bonds. But then also, you know, when I talk to analysts and traders, 
they they are closely watching it, but then they also say, contrary to when we see the, the spreads and the reaction in the market, they also say that they really don't think that the lawsuit has enough merit to go forward, and they don't have they don't feel that it's going to be something that's going to pose a threat in the future. So um, that might be reflected a little bit in bond prices too. But we'll have to wait and see where it goes from here. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see. Uh, very interesting. Well, Caitlin, thank you for your work, and thank you for your time today. Thank you. All right. And we've got Maria Monte here in New York. Welcome, Maria. Good morning, Young. How are you? Good, thanks. So you wrote an interesting article about the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences with the $100 million museum issuance. And somehow I don't picture the, the Oscars and Muni Bonds together. So you wrote this interesting story. And tell me what it's all about. Well, first and most importantly, I'd like to thank the Academy for this opportunity and, of course, <laughs> the DebtWire Muni's team, the very best in the business for municipal bond reporting. But let me get to the point before you guys cut my mic or play me off. <laughs> uh, at its face, this is a typical debt issuance, not too large, but the transaction, however small, is receiving attention for a lot of reasons. For starters, it deals with the Oscars, which is obviously a bit more glamorous than the sewer systems and charter schools we usually uh, write about. And the glamour starts with an offering statement which references Tom Hanks, Annette Benning, and Laura Dern, and with pictures of Lady Gaga and, Reg and Regina King. It's all a bit more exciting than the usual day in Muni's, and the celebrities are a start, but there are a few twists in this plot along the way. Uh, the Academy sold the bonds to help support a new museum it's built devoted to the Oscars and film in Hollywood. It's set to open in December. It's the second debt issuance for this project, which is getting delivered more than a year late and $100 million over budget. And I should also note that, coincidentally, they have an enormous principal payment due in 2021 of more than $100 million, $130 million or $30 million more than this issuance to on, on principle of the 2015 bonds. Uh, the story is about a new museum, but it really touches on a lot of muni market concerns like the use of green bonds as a marketing tool and the use of tax-exempt financing for projects like this. It's an open question, and many people in the industry, at least some of my sources, are unimpressed that projects like this are even eligible for tax-exempt financing. In other stories, sources have said they simply don't participate in these projects that lack essentiality. So you've touched on a couple of topics here, like green bonds, which I'll get back to you in a second. So... Uh, now, this, this museum, I know, um, and before I preface the, my next question, as a bondholder, what are the sources of revenue that the museum will have in, in order to pay back bondholders? Primarily, they're broadcasting contracts. That's okay. the biggest source of revenue for the Academy. Um, they expect $800,000 a year in admission revenue, but they haven't set the price or any attendance figures, so primarily from the broadcast contracts, the Oscar broadcast you see on TV. Right. And just to clarify in your article, you said that details have yet to be worked out in terms of the admission costs. There's going to be a restaurant there, I believe, and probably most likely a gift shop with little mini Oscars, I'm sure. Yes, all of the above. So that is also another source of revenue. Okay. So let's compare that to some of the stories that you ha we have talked about in the past. Like, like you said, we've had a, heard about a few museums that we've covered where they've been struggling. Tell us about that. 
The museum recently closed, and we've had coverage on the National Law Enforcement Museum, and I believe a place called Police Touch, and those are just off the top of my head. On one hand, a museum devoted to the Oscars by the create by the people who create the Oscars is a one of the one of a kind thing. But the governance struggles, uh, the delays in construction and financing, it's just that the success of this project isn't a given. If you're a tourist traveling to Los Angeles, is your first stop going to be a museum? Uh, the Oscars are losing relevance. Ratings on the most recent broadcast this month hit an all-time low, but it's still the most watched non-sports competition program on television. Um, yeah, so there is p potential here, and it, it because of its uniqueness. Yes, very unique. All right, so last question. You were ta touching, uh, talking about uh, green bonds. So why are these green bonds, and what's green about a museum? It's a good question. Uh, it's controversial that simply pursuing LED certification for a building makes it a green bond. Investors who prioritize green investments, the investors who care about environmental, social, and governance issues, are green bonds financing a non-essential project, a museum really in line with what they're looking for? It's a very great example of, and I shouldn't go so far to say abuse, but perhaps misguided use of green bonds, using them as a marketing tool uh, when they're intended, or at least their in investors intend for them to be socially conscious in investments. All right, well, very interesting. And uh, I think you said the expected opening day is December of this year. Correct. Okay, well, look, we look forward to your coverage, and we thank you for your time today. Thank you. All right, let's move on to San Juan, Puerto Rico, and with our reporter there, Ava Lorenz. How are you doing down there? Fine. Fine. I, We're doing fine. Thank you. I heard there's, there's a little storm going on in the background. Yes. We're, we're having a very bad weather today. All right. Well, we won't take up too much of your time. and hope, Hopefully, you'll stay uh, nice and warm down there. Okay. So let's talk about the latest in Puerto Rico, and let's start with our first question. So what is the latest with the debt settlement or the PSA or the planned support agreement of the Commonwealth? Well, um, the new debt deal, um, which would completely resolve uh, the island's legacy debt over the next 20 years and reduces the um, $35 billion debt in general obligations uh, to less than $11 billion. Uh, it's going through a lot of discussion and of course there are numerous points of views against it and in favor of it um basically uh, the deal has received uh, numerous reactions from different groups including politicians uh, the governor gubernatorial candidates and of course uh bunning shooters uh, and um because obviously it reduces significantly the the debt. Okay. Now, what are bond insurers? Uh, why are they against the plan support agreement? Well, first of all, they say the plan is incoherent. Uh, the plan calls for a stay in the validation of certain general obligation bonds. The board has questioned the validity of about six billion in general obligations, and they believe that there are certain issues that need to be resolved, like the validation of those bonds, as well as the priority of those bonds, and they believe that that type of litigation should not be stayed. Uh, but they have also raised one objection, which I feel is significant. 
they say the PSA will violate PROMESA because one of the requirements is that a portion of the debt will be paid using COFINA bonds. The supposedly under the deal, the Commonwealth will transfer uh, to COFINA uh, its portion of the sales and use tax, and that portion will be used to create uh, junior bonds that will be used to pay this debt under the uh, agreement. And they say that that is illegal because um, under, first of all, it will violate the constitution as, as a term that says that um, the available public debt should be used to pay um, debt as a priority, the available resources. And also they say that uh, they, it will result, result in a fraudulent transfer of Commonwealth property to COFINA. So they say this deal has numerous defects that will have to be resolved in court. So Ava, what are the gubernatorial candidates saying about the debt deal? Well, first of all, all of the gubernatorial candidates are opposing it, uh, basically because the deal entails a cut of 8.5% on all pensions, but all pensions are higher than $1,200 a month. Uh, Pedro Pierluisi, who is the leading contender to governor, he's competing against uh, Wanda Vasquez for the New Progressive Party gubernatorial seat. He specifically says that he believes this uh, deal is sustainable. In other words, he says that if the government reduces its size, it, it will be able to pay about 1.5 billion in debt service that this deal will require. So he says he does believe that this deal is sustainable. However, the other candidates, such as uh, Senate Minority Leader Eduardo Batia, who is the leading gubernatorial contender for under the Popular Democratic Party, which is the opposition party, he says that he believes this deal uh, will probably lead the island to another default because of the situation, our economy is still very fragile. I see. So then who else is opposing the plan support agreement? Well, in the case of the, the Unsecured Creditors Committee, uh, it is one of the groups that is opposing it because they want the courts to determine whether the uh, geo bonds or bonds guaranteed by the Commonwealth uh, should be entitled to the priority that they say they are entitled to. The unsecured creditors believe they have a priority over the Commonwealth general obligations. And their allegation is that under the bankruptcy law, you don't really have to uh, all of these priority determinations like general obligation are guaranteed are, are bonds that are guaranteed by the constitution and therefore they have a priority in payment. They say that all of those things are invalidated under bankruptcy law. So therefore they 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 are contending that their claims have a priority over the general obligations. Of course under the PSA that kind of litigation will be stayed. So that is why they are one of the groups who has expressed concern uh, regarding this plan support agreement. Ava, I got one last question for you. What is the latest with the other debtors in the uh, bankruptcy process? 
Well, in the case of um, the Highway and Transportation Authority, which also is one of the a public corporation that filed for bankruptcy, uh, they, uh, the, the bond insurers, AMBAC, for instance, um, sued Autopistas Metropolitanas, uh, which is a contractor of HTA, in order to get payment. And this is a first in this bankruptcy because they sued in the general court, in the general district court, and they are they're alleging that Metropistas, um, which has a contract to manage two highways uh, for the HTA, their allegation is that the, the Metropistas engaged in this contract knowing fully well that HTA was in dire financial, in a dire financial condition, and their allegation is that this contract obviously is fraudulent, and that the Metropistas is taking advantage of HTA and is giving a, a very small portion of the total revenues, 115 million. That's what uh, HTA is receiving from the total revenues that Metropistas is collecting. Um, and so they say that this contract is, is a contract that is a fraud and it is a, a violation on, of creditors' rights. Uh, so uh, that is the situation now with HTA. In the case of the employees' retirement system, uh, the U.S. First Circuit Court of Appeals yesterday scheduled a hearing for March 3 on a dispute be, uh, in which the hedge funds headed by Andalusian Global Designated Activity. Uh, they are trying to appoint a trustee for the Puerto Rico Employees Retirement System because they want uh, the agency to be able to um, get file a, a lawsuit against the Commonwealth to get funds for ERS. Uh, they say the Financial Oversight and Management Board, because it represents the Commonwealth, as well as the ERS, it's not doing that, and it's not getting the funds that ERS needs to be able to pay creditors. Uh, these hedge funds hold about $3 billion in ERS bonds that uh, the G F a Financial Oversight and Management Bond is trying to invalidate. Well, very interesting, Eva. Well, thank you for your work. Thank you for uh, your time today, and uh, stay safe down there. Thank you very much. Okay, we've had a busy show today, and my thanks to Kaylin Devitt, Maria Monte, and Eva Lorenz. And thanks to our producer, Anthony Phillips, for making us sound good. But most of all, thanks to you, our listeners out there, who tune in week after week and get the latest on distressed muni credits on the muni lowdown. We'll catch you all next week. Take care, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the muni lowdown with me, your host, Young Lim. If you want to know more, subscribe to DebtWire.com and follow us on social media. Please leave comments, rate, like, and share. Join us next week when we talk about the latest in the municipal bond market.